make you intelligent but we're gonna try to prove otherwise this is the clashing sabers podcast i am one of your hosts brandon and i am here with my co-host first we have the zombie stormtrooper who turned peridia into a graveland it's that must be drew it is most definitely you drew uh and it does sound more like me <laughs> and of course guys we have our third installment in the trilogy which means two out of three times he's the best one of us it's <laughs> it's devorm so, guys, really excited tonight because uh, we're going to have a blast of a discussion as we talk about uh, Ahsoka Parts 5 and 6, also known as Shadow Warrior and Far, Far Away. So, for me, I don't know, this might be the most excited I've been to talk about Star Wars in quite some time. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. get into that. Uh, Drew's probably going to crap on that. We'll find out. Oh, I mean, it is par for the course. Hey, 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 we don't hey. need to set our expectations that low, do we? I mean, what is it, what is it Vince Vaughn say in Dodgeball? If you set the bar low, like, you can't be disappointed? Something like that? <laughs> uh, okay, sure. I'm going to take your uh, expertise on this one. What? Come on, you're not a Dodgeball movie aficionado? You know, it's not one I've ever sat down and watched. Really? It's got yeah, uh, really. <laughs> Alan Tunick playing a guy who thinks he's a pirate. Come on, how is that not... <laughs> cinematic gold <laughs> I, I you know i must have missed it the day it came out i i apologize oh my goodness drew what are we gonna do with you all right well the world may never know <laughs> we're still trying to figure it out um but yeah no i'm i'm very excited and i'm excited to hear what you guys um have to say but for those of you who are listening if you're new here welcome uh make sure you are subscribed to the network so that you can get all of our shows and Make sure you're following us over on our social channels. Everything is at Clashing Sabers. Uh, particularly p- want to point to the Facebook group, which has been growing, which is exciting to see. And uh, we've got a lot of great people over there. So make sure you are, are there so you can get all of our thoughts and uh, everything about Soka and more. So thank you for that in advance. Guys, uh, we have a ton to talk about, so I think we need to just keep mm-hmm. this pergill uh, moving right along. And if you haven't listened to our first two Ahsoka episodes, uh, we're going to rate these episodes prior to discussing them and then re-rate them afterwards. So we'll see if our discussion sways us in one way or another. Uh, we're on a scale of one to five, and we're calling it dealer's choice as to whether or not you rate the episodes individually or together. So, Drew, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to throw it to you first because I'm probably going to need time to recover from whatever your score is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, episode five is Shadow Warrior, right? Correct. Yep. Uh, I've got to write these down. Episode six was Far, Far Away. Is that right? Yes. All right, so just by comparison, when we did episodes one and two, I gave the first two episodes a collective rating of two out of five. Um, when we did three and four, I gave episode three, which was Time to Fly, a three out of five. 
And episode four, Fallen Jedi, was a, a, a stunning one out of five, for which I may not live at that down ever. But you know what? I'm going to own it like it's mine, because it is. Um, Shadow Warrior, I'm going to give a three out of five for the time being. And far, far away, I'm gonna, can I do a two and a half out of five? Is that legal? I'll allow it. Can we make it legal? I'll make it legal. How about I give it a five out of ten? Does that make it sound any better? Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's like a two and a half out of five, but, but fractionally better. <laughs> and I don't mean by a fraction. <laughs> it's just greatest common denominator or something like that. I don't know. Exactly. Something, something, something like that. Something like that. I may be go- I'm going back and forth on Shadow Warrior because I have concerns, but it didn't well we'll save it i'll save it i suppose we'll move along and then we'll uh then we'll circle back all right so honestly like i expected drew to swing completely one way or completely the other like this was either going to bring him over to the show or he was just going to give up and not be on the next episode so i will take a like <laughs> 2.75 average i will, I will hey, take th- there's still time don't you worry <laughs> oh i'm worried trust me i'm worried uh all right divorce so what about you all right i will also give individual scores for each episode so for episode five shadow warrior i am also going to parse a little bit i'm going a 3.75 out of five wow highly specific i love it uh, and then for far far away Man, I, I I went back and forth. I think I'm going to stick with the four out of five. I think oh, that's where I last wow. landed, and I oh, think that's wow. where I'm going to be. Is that your highest? Well, no, you gave. No, I, I gave a four and a half for one of the you early four and ones. Four and a half to episode number two. I have yes, notes, but I don't have you guys as from last time. I think because we weren't friends for that hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, you I think and I was, were getting along. I wasn't getting along with anybody. Yeah, I was a I think a three and a half across the board. Okay. Okay. So. Interesting. Brand- Brandon, where have you? Uh, did you give it Shadow Warrior a 17 out of 5 or an 18 out of 5? <laughs> no, I gave it a 17.6235 <laughs> That episode was made for you. It got, yeah, it was a 5 out of 5. Um, I don't know if it is my favorite Star Wars television installment. Um, I'd have to. Like, Ooh. consider moments such as, you know, Luke in Mando, um, seeing Luke and Ahsoka on the screen at the same time, uh, different things like that that had just huge moments. But to me, it is arguably the best installment of Star Wars television. Um, it just absolutely hit on all cylinders for me. Uh, so five out of five on that. And then far, far away, I'm with Devor, four out of five. Um, I... Don't have any wow. major problems with this episode. I think it did exactly what it wanted to do, and and I I don't think it should be faulted for that. Like it's not, it's not the show. It's not the episode that I'm going to say, hey, sit down and watch this to figure out, you know, see if you like Star Wars. But I I really really enjoyed it. Is there an episode you would sit somebody down and say, watch this, and if you like it, there's eleven movies and seventeen TV shows to back this up for more. Uh, of this show, or I don't know. You made the statement. This isn't the first episode I would show people to say, "Do you like Star Wars?" I, I, I would say you know, you have that benchmark. I would be interested to sh- to show them the first episode of this show, um, mostly for my own uh, curiosities of like, can somebody 
start from there. But if I wanted to kind of summarize what I value in Star Wars and in storytelling, uh, it would be Shadow Warrior probably because you've got the connections to the greater story. You have, I think you, you can understand the dynamic between Ahsoka and Anakin easily enough. I, you're not going to sit somebody down in 2023 and show them uh, a Star Wars and they don't know who Darth Vader is. So you've got like That's that background point. knowledge that yeah. you can use. And it becomes pretty clear like, oh, okay, he trained her, um, that kind of thing. You get the the references to the light side, dark side, all of those things. So yeah, I, th- I think that would be the episode. Interesting. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So Drew, this is always a good way to start the conversation is like what in shadow warrior worked for you and, and what didn't work? Well, as Eagle eared listeners will remember the number one concern I had with the, uh, the fourth episode fallen Jedi was the world between worlds nonsense that was likely to ensue. And I'm pleased to report it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I think it was handled pretty well. Um, although, and I haven't read a lot of, or really anybody's interpretations online about the front half of this episode, but I'm getting strong. She's not actually in the world between worlds vibes. And this is just her subconscious kind of having a conversation with her for the first time in a long time. I Um, think it's one in the same in a way. See, I no, I don't believe that. (laughs) Um, I think, and we can kind of get into this more specifically as we go or just jump right into it, but um, I, I thought that front half of the episode was interesting. It was much more interesting use of what we thought it could be. Like, when they ended the episode four with the introduction of Anakin returning to visit with Ahsoka, it was like the wild, wild west of possibilities, and I think this was very um, well handled. Uh clearly communicated what they wanted to communicate from a storytelling perspective, a little bit of character growth, which is great to see. Um, it was interesting to watch them kind of come back together as characters for the first time in a long time and actually uh, bounce off of each other. You know, it wasn't very clear how the conversation was going to go or the interaction between them was going to go. So it was, you're watching to see what actually happened rather than just kind of watching something play out you knew was coming and just interested in how they were going to get through it as opposed to what we might talk about in episode six with the return of Thrawn is like okay we know Thrawn is returning it'll be interesting to see how they pull that off uh what I think the difference between those two sections is that we didn't really know what the conclusion of that conversation with Anakin spirit was going to be again I don't I think this is much more of a subconscious thing she's having is she's kind of slowly drowning in the ocean i suppose which is really strange but i just wasn't never a firm believer that it was a very compelling semi-death sequence of her falling off the cliff i'm not sure why that would have led to her falling unconscious you know bar barring she bounces off some of the rocks at the bottom i don't know what we're supposed to interpret that not something they would ever show but how did she come to be unconscious it's kind of what we talked about at the end of that last episode was how did she even get there like we know that ezra and palpatine had to work so very hard to gain entrance to the world between worlds all ahsoka did is fall off a cliff and hit some water so that's kind of like 
key number one that popped up said, maybe this isn't what I think it is. Maybe this is something more that's just occurring within her subconscious. You also have the fact that, you know, early Ezra in the world between worlds when he's talking to Yoda doesn't like know that he's there. He's not actively trying to get there. So I think it's kind of in a, it's not a one-to-one analogy, but it's kind of a room of requirement situation where it, gives you what you need kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so she needed to go through this lesson. And so the world between worlds became open for her. And you also have, you know, the, like we talked about last time with the daughter, like that opens up, uh, not to be no pun intended, a world of possibilities, uh, that, you know, she could have, you know, be more prone to access this, this realm, if you will, than, than somebody else. So, I think it's 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 a whole lot of possible. speculation, right? It is. It's, def- it is. it's a whole lot of nobody really knows for sure. But that's kind of what made it interesting to go back and rewatch it later, um, kind of in the context of knowing what was going to happen. Give, allows a little bit more opportunity to understand what are they saying, where is it coming from, and whatnot. And the way I was reading, and again, this is just looking at what was on screen. There's not a lot, if any, information provided to Ahsoka she didn't already have, right? There's no new revelations. There's no in, no new interactions. Like, she doesn't meet somebody she doesn't know, like, like uh, Ezra. She doesn't encounter a new person because she's familiar with Anakin. He doesn't impart any particular moment of wisdom or information to her that she didn't already hear. The memories that they go back into are her own. And kind of the conclusion of her lesson there is actually established at the very beginning of it all. And it's things she'd been wrestling with as a person for what we must presume was her entire career as a Jedi Knight. Was this concept of, I thought we were supposed to be protectors of the peace. And now you're telling me that our job is to lead and you have to teach me, Anakin, you have to teach me, Ahsoka, how to be a soldier and to lead. And one of the things Anakin says is to lead was to survive and to survive was to fight, right? Those are the lessons she learned on the battlefield from him. So it's interesting to me that with an opportunity to speak to somebody who's already passed away, no new information is imparted upon to her, right? She's got this opportunity to talk and ask questions and get answers, but none of that happens. Instead, she has to go back and relearn something from her past. So I just thought that was an interesting way to do it, but that's also kind of what allows me and my brain to wrap around the opportunity to sidestep some of the nonsense issues that the world between worlds could allow. The way to do that is to challenge whether or not she's actually in this different physical location. This is all just kind of happening in her mind as she's slowly being deprived of oxygen. I think the one thing you have to consider as far as like, is it purely in her mind is the fact that Jason can hear the lightsabers clashing. Yeah. I get the impression that Hera hears them too. And so there has to be some, something happening specifically in the force and not just in her subconscious. Now the, I think sure in a way the two are connected. Like you have the, you know, the, the cosmic force and and stuff. So in a way the two are connected, but I don't, I don't think she is like transported to a different location. It's kind of like 
uh, when Ezra was in the temple in the early episodes of Rebels when he first accessed the world between worlds is like he goes there, but physically he's still in the temple and Yoda's physically still in Dagobah. It's it's very much like the, uh, you know, the force Skype between Rey and Kylo um, at the beginning where each is in their own space, but they can see each other. And I think that's kind of what we have here. And so that's why... I, and I'd be interested to hear y'all's thoughts on this. I I think it is in part Anakin's Force Ghost, but I don't know if it's necessarily a Force Ghost in the way that we have understood it as of, uh, you know, seeing them prior to this episode. Yeah, I think I would agree with that in the sense that to the extent that this is a Force Ghost that she's encountering, it, it, it it's not the same because it's like, you know, when we've normally seen Force Ghosts, it has been them in some kind of terrestrial plane. You know, Obi-Wan showing up at Hoth, Qui-Gon showing up at Dagobah for Yoda, things like that. And Anakin is not doing that here. Like, he, he's encountering her in some sort of, like, extra-dimensional plane, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Less corporeal version of himself. Exactly. So yeah, I, I don't I don't quite know what to make it like. Do we call it a force ghost? I mean, maybe because we have no other phrase to use. Like it's not quite a vision either. Like I think there's Even, definitely a consciousness to it. Like I don't think it's yeah. just. But I don't think it's like an Anakin exclusive consciousness. Like it's probably it's like the will of the living force is kind of having this conversation with Ahsoka within her brain giving her the opportunity to pick up the will to live, basically. And I think both can be true at the same time. Uh, I, I, uh, I, can they? <laughs> I'm not saying they're mutually exclusive. I just don't think in this situation it is. This is kind of one of the issues I have is like, there, there, there's room for ambiguity, right? In, in good storytelling, there's, there's, we don't have to have all the answers to everything. That's fine. I think that it's okay to leave some sense of mystery, even in things like this. Kind of like, you know, what instantly comes to mind is, uh, spoiler alert for one of the biggest books and movie uh, pairings in human history, but in the seventh book of Harry Potter in the movie, you know, when Harry sees Dumbledore in the what looks to be like the King's Crossing station. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No physical good explanation of what the heck was going on there, but we kind of get it, right? You just kind of get it. Kind of like Thanos does the snap at the end of Infinity War, and he's transported to this orangey location with the image of his daughter, Gamora. It could be the Soul Stone. It might not. It's probably not. But we get the idea, right? There's this momentary pause in the storytelling to say the character gets a chance to express their inner inner thoughts and motivations in a way in which it allows our audience to understand what's going on inside their brain in this split second in time. So that's kind of why I would disassociate specific interactions with, man, the distinct spiritual aspect of Anakin J. Skywalker. You know, I... I don't think that his particular distinct personality is playing a role at all in this particular episode. This is just the action of the, the cosmic or living force working out a conversation in Ahsoka's brain. <laughs> 
this is the worst esoteric exercise I've had to do in a long time. And it all comes in the midst of space whales and things like that. There's actually something, now that I'm thinking about and we're having this conversation, there is actually something analogous that has happened in recent canon that has also involved Anakin, which is the beginning of Shadow of the Sith, Ooh, where Luke kind of has the meditation or whatever, and then he's fighting like the nine figures, and then Anakin shows up and rescues him. Like there's kind of something similar happening there where it's like okay. he's being kind of transported to some place. He's like like he's tethered still in the living world, but then he's also, you know, again, in some sort of force spiritual dimension, and then Anakin shows up, you know? <laughs> I figured it out, guys. It's the midi-chlorians. There's so many midi-chlorians that Anakin has so that he just fired. breaks all the rules. <laughs> um... No, that's a, a lot of rule breaking. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. Uh, good pull, Devor. I, I hadn't thought about that, but it definitely definitely works. I think one thing for me that you know draws it back to Anakin is involved in it, whether it is fully his you know consciousness or it is the the force kind of manifesting as him because that's a form that ahsoka will understand or whatever it might be is that line where he uh ahsoka says i won't fight you and he says i've heard that before like to me that's a sign that it's not directly happening purely in ahsoka's head that it's not just her memories in the way that we kind of view han in rise of skywalker as specifically his memory manifesting this is something I don't want to say more, but it is something different. Are are you alleging that Han Solo was actually there in front of Kylo Ren on the ruins of the Death, the second Death Star? No, I'm I'm saying it was his his memory that he was just mentally going through that to, he had to work through it, and we're, okay. we as the audience that, are seeing kind of what's happening in his head. So we're seeing Ben's mind at work in that moment, not some kind of manifestation of. Uh, you, you know, if we were, if Ray were there, she would not be able to see Han Solo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Correct. I'm just making sure I understand because I got confused with the pronoun shifting. And and here, like Anakin is bringing part of a, a memory that only he would have. You know. Yeah, that's the only thing that I'm tripping over because, uh, but it's also kind of like generic. <laughs> You, is that the only time in Anakin's entire history somebody has ever said, I will not fight you? Or like, rather, the first time anyone has ever said that to him was when he was fighting Luke? I find that difficult to believe. So that's kind of, it is kind of, it is a, a flaw in the theory. I'll, I'll grant you that. But at the same time, I don't think it's that nearly that big. That, uh, I mean, that's the, the beautiful thing about this episode is there's so many ways you can interpret it. And not in a bad way. Like this could have gone a lot of bad ways. Like you talked about drew where yeah. it could have been left. Amb there's, there's good ambiguity and there's bad ambiguity. Right. And drew, yes. I think you pointed out the, the good ambiguity earlier of the audience gets the point. It doesn't need to necessarily have all the details of how it works. So to go back to the Ben talking to Han, like we get the point is that he needed to come to terms with, what he had done, the choices he had made, the fact that he couldn't go back and redo them, but he had a future to look forward to, right? Which mm -hmm. turns out he didn't. But that's besides the point. Aww. <laughs> he had a future. It was just really, really short. It was very short. And one but line. But it was really important. Well, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, trust me, I'm, I'm a, you know me, I love Ben Solo, but, uh, so now that I'm completely off of my point, but there's, there's good ambiguity and bad ambiguity. And this definitely for me falls into good ambiguity because I've been having conversations with people online and talking about like, what was the lesson that was being taught? And everybody has had, in my opinion, you know, pretty good explanations of what they think the lesson is, even if, you know, the majority of the posters might not agree on what the lesson is. And I, I think that that is, and, and it's being backed up with what the, the evidence from the text says. So I think that that is a good sign that, you know, people are allowed to, to bring their own interpretations into this, their own background knowledge and experiences into how they interpret this, their own relationship with the character in turn into how they interpret this and come out with similar, but different conclusions. And to me, that is something that really makes the the engine of Star Wars go. So I mm-hmm. I like that we're all kind of we get the point that they're making, but exactly what the words of that point might be is different. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and and kind of keep moving along here because I want to uh, talk about you know what happens with Ahsoka after she goes into the world between worlds and she comes back and we have Ahsoka the white back, like the water, <laughs> the water rushes over her or I shouldn't yep. say rushes it, it, you know, comes back over Slowly her. Slowly drips over. Yeah. Yep. Which I mean, yeah, they got it. They got, they got the drama. Yeah. We're really good at these bapti- baptism sequences now in the star Wars universe. We've had them in Mandalorian. Now we've got them in this one. We've got them all over the place. Oh, and there were multiple in here because like she's, First, she's, you know, washed over by the water, and then she's rebirthed back into the light, mm-hmm. and we got to see yep. Ahsoka's forehead. Didn't need to, but we did. <laughs> um, but never her ears. I'm not convinced she has ears either. No, she just she just feels what Caref- you're saying. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, Devor, as we came out of the world between worlds, like, how did you feel about this reborn version of Ahsoka? Yeah, I, I think that part from the vision on through the end of the episode, I think is the most Ahsoka that I think Rosario Dawson has felt to me like at all. Like since we first got her in Mandalorian, like you got some of that, you know, again, some of that kind of Ahsoka warmth kind of coming back to her that we sort of talked about was a little bit absent way back, I think, when we did our first episode, the recapping the first two episodes. Now, w- when we get to talking about episode six and the little bit of Ahsoka that we get in there, I'm going to sort of circle back to talking about, like, what actually <laughs> came out of this whole vision. Because she's, she's there for, like, three minutes, but it's an interesting three minutes, and we'll talk about that when we get to episode six. But yeah, I think this is, again, yeah, I think this is the most Ahsoka that live action Ahsoka has felt. Like, she was really starting here to feel true to the characters we had known her up to that point in animation for me. So do you think that that comes down to, you know, we talked about, is this intentional? Do you think it was an intentional thing to have her be kind of as standoffish like was this a slow burn that we were getting or uh is it just kind of coincidental that the the scenes allowed for her to have that warmth like where do you come down as that on that 
It's possible there was a choice. I mean, like, you know, to go, you know, to rewind a little bit toward, to our conversation about the world between worlds and like what happens in there and in our encounter with Anakin and like the lesson of Anakin. I remain unclear in part because you talk about like the lesson is, at least from my perspective, like it's a little ambiguous. The to me, like the metaphor of like life and death is a little clunky. So it's like, it's still not clear to me yet, like, what is different about her that like she is now oh, all of a sudden like in white and hugging Jason and like all that stuff. Like, I'm a little just like, I'm, I'm a little unsure what was learned in a kind of concrete way. But yeah, I think they're probably, yeah, I think maybe some of that stoicism and standoffishness was meant to kind of draw a contrast and this whole vision being an inflection point. I saw, it's just, I don't quite still understand what is the substance of the inflection point. For me, the lesson circles back to that, uh, that line Anakin has of you lack conviction. Um, it's her finding her conviction to fight for again and to mm. have like have a belief in fighting, not because she's a fighter, not because she's trained to be a soldier, but because she really believes in it. Because we see in the Clone Wars, she really believes in what they're fighting for. And we see the evolution of that. You know, she she meets uh, Lux Bonteri and that kind of shows her that, you know, it's not just, you know, these good guys and these bad guys and we fight them because they're the bad guys. And, and that kind of starts her development. We see in, in uh, the Ahsoka novel and similar idea in Tales of the Jedi, how she decides to become Fulcrum because she still wants to do good and she believes in the cause, but she can't be, you know, on the front lines. We see, you know, that development throughout Rebels and stuff. And But it the losses have just piled up on her for so long that she loses that conviction along the way. And she's she's going through the motions, you know, and, and she... She still, I think she still believes in what she's doing and stuff, but she's not doing it with the fire in her heart that she had before. And so she has to find that conviction, that will to live as it's manifested here in order to, to really move forward. Because, you know, she, she was, we talked about this last time too, she was kind of cutting her losses with the whole like, well, we might have to leave Ezra out there thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, that's not the hopeful Ahsoka that we, you know, have come to know and, and that we we want to exist. And so I think she found that person again uh, by having to face the fact that she is a multitude of things. I think that's why it had to be Anakin that was there. I don't think she could have had this moment with Obi-Wan or with Bail Organ or what, like anybody else. Like she, it had to be Anakin because Anakin is a multitude of things. He is, you know such a unique character not just in terms of he was on the light and the dark but the levels to which the dynamics of his character the relationships that he had the you know all of these different things and he's showing her like you have to be more than just a fighter while you fight because if you don't have those things to believe in those convictions which anakin always had he was always fighting to protect his friends and those that he loved like that was his bottom line and I think she kind of lost her bottom line and then she finds it again here. So for me, that's the lesson. But Drew, what were you going to add? I would say that the lesson she learned is, you know, kind of it's set up at the very beginning and kind of solidified at the end. Anakin gives her the choice to live or to die. 
and at the end of this adventure we know she has she chooses to live but her response to live or die is i won't fight you so she's setting up the false dichotomy here because all she's known is fighting right be she presumes that her choices are to fight or to die because for her what she has learned is that to live is to fight so she, when she goes back and revisits the old lessons one of the things anakin says is our job is to lead but i have to teach you to be a soldier so the first battle is really the, her introduction to what it means to be a jedi today in the era that they're in is to be on the front lines of the fight of the combat you're going to be out here and you're going to be taking lives uh during the siege of mandalore anakin confirms you know you've become the warrior that i've, I've trained you to be and he's he starts talking about she is part of a legacy now obi-wan passed his knowledge on to anakin anakin passes on to her and he says something interesting where he says i've pa pour passed all my knowledge on to you like everything I know, I've poured into you, but we clearly know that's not true, right? There's things that he hid from her during that time period. So I always thought that was kind of an interesting thing to it um, because she's concerned that if all of you, Anakin, is in me now, then so too does the opportunity for me to fall to the dark side and wreak havoc across the galaxy like you did. Like she's kind of accusing him saying like she says you were too powerful like you were you were more powerful than anybody knew and you were too dangerous was kind of what she sees so the fear she's been living with since she realized that vader was anakin is that if all of anakin is in me and anakin turned out to be vader then all of what turned into vader is in me as well so i think that explains kind of her withdrawal from the front lines as it were she didn't want to go down the same path anakin did because it would end the same way it did for him that's kind of something that kind of struck her i would imagine after their encounter on you know the planet with maul and all that and the twilight of the apprentice episodes essentially so when she is able to finally reconcile that there is a ch there are choices that you can make and that there's a different way to live where living isn't fighting, but fighting can be a part of life and a part of fighting for life. I think she sees that in Anakin now because when she finally declares she wants to live, she takes the saber and throws it away. Brandon, I know you flipped out when that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah I heard I you did. screaming from across the time zones. It was amazing. Um, I got pretty and loud. Th the act of throwing the lightsaber turns the Anakin Vader image into anakin proper at that point right it kind of it washes away the dark side's influence and she's able to tell that the choice she's making to live to not fight against him anymore is what would end up redeeming him of course she probably heard that story from a very certain somebody who was also in the room when that happened but we won't talk about that so i think that the lesson there was to find that the choice is to live or to die, but living doesn't have to mean fighting. It can also mean saving, right? It's kind of that we talk, I think we talked about this briefly the last time as well, that whole last Jedi issue of not issue, the last Jedi element of um, saving what you love versus fighting what you hate. She had spent her training was fighting what you hate, fighting what you hate eventually would lead her to the dark side. So she had to deal away with that, but nobody ever told her to save what she loves. Right. And I think that's why you see her so much more engaging afterwards. She says, look, there is, there are things to save here. 
Jason is here. Hera is here. Sabine is out there, but we're going to go get her, right? Suddenly, it's not about stopping Thrawn. It's about finding Sabine. So I think her, her goals are reoriented because she no longer feels a need to simply fight. She, f she has this urge to save, which is slightly different. Again, do I wish that conclusion was spelled out a little bit more concretely to give people like Devor a little bit, you know, something more solid to hold on to? Uh, yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> I think it's one of those things kind of like Devor, you were saying like the, the woodenness of her portrayal um, over the past four or five episodes is kind of finally undone with this last one. I think is intentional because uh, it's kind of funny that the very first thing um, Rosario Dawson does when she enters the world between worlds is crosses her arms. It's like the one yeah. move she's got. I was like, huh, no. <laughs> Dude, I literally thought I was like, Drew's going to point this out when I saw that. Of course I'm going to point that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't help it if it's the one physical activity she, she's got nailed down. I don't know if they're like, there was no other day for blocking and they just didn't know what to do with their hands. I've been in that situation. I get it, but still, come on. So I'm going to be on arm crossing watch for the rest of the show. Maybe she won't do it. Wouldn't that be a character turn? Woof. Next celebration, you need to just have five shirts, one for each day of her in different <laughs> positions with her arms crossed. I like the idea that you think I'm going to be at the next celebration, which is in Tokyo, Japan, in five different days. <laughs> well, the next plausible one. Um, there you that's go. not going to cost go. us $16,000 to go oh my gosh. fly over yep. to. 25 grand per plane ticket. Just I mean, if anybody up, wants to, to buy my plane tickets, I am up for sale like I have. No. <laughs> Can we make that a Patreon goal? Yeah. <laughs> 100% of our, our donations go to buying and selling books, except for the 16000 we're going to take yeah, to send Brandon to Tokyo. really big asterisk on the outside <laughs> of it. No, not Terms a chance. Conditions apply. So I want to I want to go now after um, the the vision and you know we talked about how she's reborn and, and woken up and uh, embraces Jason and she has this different feel to her. We knew the Pergil were going to be a thing. We knew the Pergil mm -hmm. were going to be the thing that was going to get Ahsoka to the next galaxy, right? But we didn't really know how all of that was going to work. And I find it really interesting that Dave chose like them going inside of the whale because immediately like I was thinking of the story of Jonah and mm -hmm. uh, going into the, the belly of, of that whale. And so I was doing a little bit more research today cause it's been a, a, a minute since I've, you know, looked at that story and Jonah is, is given a mission from God that he then kind of refuses mm -hmm. which is what ends him up in the belly of the beast that seems very Ahsoka like in the beginning of this. And what I what really kind of threw me a little bit, I've forgotten this part, is is he goes once he comes out of the belly of the beast after three days, he goes and he does the mission, but he is uh, apprehensive about it. The the article that I was reading said, you know, Jonah's rescued and completes his uh, mission in Nineveh. Yeah, that's the word. Words are, are yep. fun. Uh, with some reluctance. Well, with great reluctance. Yeah, it's kind of, it's it's kind of, it's more Pinocchio than it is Jonah, honestly. Because um, Jonah, again, is lost at sea, but it's because he volunteered. So, quick, well, come with me along to Sunday school, won't you, briefly. Um, 
Jonah's escaping the commands of God, right? So he gets on a boat and sails away, literally. A storm comes that's going to capsize the boat. Everyone says, we're going to die. Jonah says to the captain of the crew, throw me overboard because God is after me. So the crew, of course, does, and that's when the fish swallows him. So it's kind of like, okay, does that mean... So if we're one-to-one comparison this, what does that imply about the fight with Balin Skull? Not really great with that analogy. Um, also, she she goes pretty willingly into the mouth of the beast, whereas Jonah had was actually... The, the, the fish is rescuing Jonah from the ocean. So a little bit different there. But yeah, it's a strange story. It's definitely different, but I I think the you know going into the water is there, and really I, I clung on to that last part about you know being reluctant to go uh, and complete this mission and kind of the impact that that would play on Ahsoka if we are considering that I don't think it's supposed to be a one to one like I. I, I think it's yeah much more of a belly of the beast analogy than it is necessarily jonah but it just got me thinking about okay so then moving forward is ahsoka even though she's learned this lesson is she going to have some reluctance and some apprehension still about what she's going to do and then we get episode six and devore i think this is what you were talking about a little bit earlier we kind of see a little bit of that apprehension at the beginning yeah, I think that is really interesting because, like, you know, Drew, you had talked about, I think, on the prior episode, and then you brought it up here again about, like, was the lesson going to be this, you know, switching this mentality of, you know, going from fighting what you hate to saving what you love. And yet the thing that we learn after she has had this transformative experience is that she was still cool with the idea of leaving Ezra in the lurch. <sighs> She yeah, would have still made the great. same calculus <laughs> all over again. And so when that happened, I thought like, okay, th- that was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, like what was the, like, what is different? Like you're still, you're still sitting there like Sabine shouldn't have done it. Like should have just left him I there. No, it's, it's so, not a great transition from five to six, is it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. Yeah. Like between that and then the fact that, you know, she's absent for the rest of the episode, which like in principle, I don't mind that fact, it, but it just, it, it does make it that it's like it, in the sense is it's like, it's jarring that like you, you kind of like you miss a beat in terms of like seeing what's different, you know, like you get a little bit of what's different and then she's gone and we like check out what other people are doing. So like that kind of, that through line is kind of missed a little bit. You got to wait mm. to see the payoff. Yeah, but it's also become almost com- not common practice, but we've had a couple up a uh, couple episodes like that in the past now with Mandalorian. Yes, has a couple had of yes. Here's the titular character on the on the left side of your screen, but hey, look way over here. You've got something wildly different going on. Or even in uh, Book of Boba Fett is really kind of the key one where Boba Fett's not even in like an hour and a half of his own show. Yeah, season three, Amanda actually kind of does the same thing where like you get to the end of his redemption journey and he's you know back with the clan and then the next episode is the pershing episode and then we don't mm. pick up back with oh, Din yeah. until the subsequent okay. episode i had forgotten about that it's kind of something they do with these shows where it's like all right I, yeah. we're gonna go not necessarily on a side adventure but we're going to tell you this story that doesn't have to do with the the headline character of the show which I think is kind of the danger of naming these shows after the yeah. characters. That is, but. 
absolutely accurate because like we have gotten no clever titles of any of these like everything is named strictly after the main character and that's really kind of the the mcuing of the star wars universe which is uh, dangerous to say the least yeah because none of these have have figured out how to tell like stories that move at the same time in two different places like it's either all one place or all the next place like there's no linear storytelling well rather it's all very linear and there's no like there's no parallel to it yeah exactly there you go there's no nothing in parallel happening at the exact same time whereas we could have had these things you know did we have to cut between in episode five here did we have to cut between ahsoka's dreaming or world between worlds visit whatever and Hera staring wistfully out at the ocean with Jason listening for something and having like three passes of the X-Wings go by? Or could we have intercut kind of like what Sabine's journey was on at the same time? Like why are we... It kind of goes to the the format of the storytelling that that we're kind of dealing with here and and not really trusting your audience to track with the two stories at the same time. Like I feel like we're sectioning off things very, very hard with the bookends of the opening and closing credits to where the episode that just happened may have little to almost no impact on what happens in the following set of episodes. Point in case is Merrick, right? The We see him briefly, or them. we see them briefly, they are dispatched, and we have no further inclination that that's going to be a thing. Now, there's a slight chance that we might, depending on what happens in the episode seven and probably not till eight, but, I mean, we've been saying that, that phrase of, this might get answered in the next couple episodes, the entire show. And it's just, it's worn out at this point, isn't it? We're more than halfway through and we're still going, yeah, they might come back to that. (laughs) In between what? (laughs) I mean, I think there are two different questions because you have the formatting question and then you have the answering questions question. And to the formatting of, of not having parallel stories go on at the same time, I think that is a challenging thing to do um you know that's something that lucas did well and and particularly marsha lucas you know in the original movie and then and then later in return of the jedi and is cut between different scenes you know um even phantom menace like phantom menace does a great job Mm -hmm. whereas you know attack of the clones can feel kind of clunky at times. And even you go as much as I love the last Jedi, it's very clunky in it's in how it jumps from one part of the story to another. So I, I think one it's either that the, the people who are making these shows, and I don't mean this in a necessarily a detrimental way um, towards them, but they don't know how to do that successfully. So they're just not doing it or is it an active choice of we want these to feel like Star Wars but feel different from the movies? I don't know if I like the answer to either of those, but I, <laughs> I would say that it's, it's one of those two things is probably what's going on there. And then to the question of the questions, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I've gotten out of this show what I want to get out of it. And a lot of the questions that I have um, at this point, are more curiosity of uh, just being so in depth in the fandom. Like, I want to know exactly like the history of Merrick because I love the Inquisitors and stuff. But I've gotten, you know, what I want for the most part. My questions are things like, 
where's Zeb, you know, which is not really relevant to, it's not a question, the, you know, the story is trying to get you to but ask. conspicuously it, absent. Yeah, so. it's, it's yes. weird, but, but yeah. Especially since we know that he was in the last show or whatever it was. Exactly, like, like why did you show him in, in Mandalorian? But to, to go back to Ahsoka. Uh, <laughs> the show or the character? Both. Um, the In that beginning part, she says about Sabine that she was fated to make that choice. There wasn't enough time to prepare her to make the right one. To me, I interpreted that more as Ahsoka kind of coming to terms with her own failures towards Sabine. And I wasted that time that I could have been preparing for her to make the right one. And maybe I couldn't have done anything about it. Maybe I could have done something about it. But I should have been there for her. Um, and, and just kind of learning to accept her own failure in that department, which is not something uh, prior to to Shadow Warrior that she really had done a good job of doing. She was kind of hmm. pushing it off. She admitted she walked away, but didn't really, I don't want to say it didn't seem like she had remorse, but it was definitely like she, it was almost like she was talking about somebody else who was doing it. You know, kind of like how people talk about, oh, well, that was the old me. It's like, well, but you're still responsible for those actions. Like, you, you still have to come to terms with the fact that you are the same person, even if you're a renewed version of yourself. Uh, that's kind of the feeling that I got with that was it was is more Ahsoka saying, like, I have put us in this situation because she was going to have to make this choice and I did not do what I needed to do to prepare her for that. Interesting. If we want to talk about flaws in the show... This part, it just, I'm Ooh. kind of upset that Peridia doesn't feel any different than the 900 other planets that we've yeah. got in these. Uh-huh. Right. Ouch. Look, rocks. Rocks and barren land. Like It looks exactly like the planet they just left minus the trees. Literally. Literally uh-huh. does. And you start, like you go... Which lo- it looks exactly like Mandalore does as well when all our gang arrived there last year. Like, yeah. Cause it's like, you know, they mention you know, Morgan talks about this as being the kind of like, I guess, what would you call it? Like the ancestral home world of the night sisters. Yeah. Like when you compare that, for example, to like Dathomir and animation, which like Dathomir is like, it's, it's sort of like desolate in the sense of like, you know, like it doesn't have like cities and stuff like that. But still, when you look at it in animation or even when it shows up in Fallen Order, there's still a sort of richness to the environment. Yeah. That like isn't here in Pridia. I think the the Night Sisters just got bored on Pridia and they're like, mm, let's go check out this other galaxy. And they're like, Dathomir, red's our color. Like, let's let's do this. Yeah. Which do you think came first, though? <laughs> like, that's what I was kind of confused is like, yeah, if they're chilling out here in this you know, other galaxy. Are they aware that the other night sisters ended up on a planet of Dathomir? How do they know that? Like, is there, can they communicate with one another that far? Is that what the visions that Elspeth was supposed to be receiving? And if so, why is that like all that they told her? <laughs> like, why did they wait till now? Thrawn disappeared 15 years ago in universe. Yeah, I think the 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 mothers explicitly explicitly say like like we like reached you in our in your dreams or something like that. I, right, I don't right, remember the right. exact phrase, something like that. So yeah, they they are they have very very they are like at ten G like signal connection. <laughs> like they're operating at different levels here that they can reach people. Man, 
if only the higher public had known about these guys, they would have had none of these problems that they're dealing with back in that storyline. Jeez. It, it's definitely... It's something I want more of, for sure. Like, this is... It's kind of like a, a mall at the end of Solo, where it's like, okay, cool, now we're set up for so many more stories, and then I just don't want it to be what actually <laughs> happened after that, where we didn't get any of those stories. Like, I want to know... more, Like the history of the night sisters like we've gotten a lot of their stories but we just for me anyways i i kind of just was like all right they've always been there like dathomir is where they're from it makes sense like they're dathomir like they're from dathomir yeah that was their whole thing and it's just kind of for me it was a little disappointing that they traveled all this way they went to this completely different galaxy and it's stuff that's you know we've seen like, it's got this strong connection to these characters that were already established. And it's like, now, wait a minute. You mean to tell me we went all the way over here? You got an opportunity to reinvent everything, and you went with it's the same thing as before. That was kind of what was disappointing to me, was the connection between the two galaxies for through the Night Sisters. Neat to see him back, but really hate to see it used this way. Well, and I think, like, at the beginning of the episode, they're going through hyperspace and hyperspace looks different you know with the mm-hmm. pergil and side note if i have anything that's a major knock on this episode it's that scene like the pergil and the hyperspace just looks so 1990 cgi that it's almost unbearable <laughs> oh, uh, i don't rem- what do you what do you t- you mean like how the light shines through the teeth like I'm, just i'm confused. no 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 the light the the it's almost like the they missed a layer of animation as they were making the pergo. When you see the pergo uh, on Cetos, there you can kind of see the texture, and you can it, it seems very real. And as they're going through hyperspace, like hyperspace just looks kind of flat, like there's no dimension to it, and there's no uh, uh, texture. I'm kind of watching it now. Yeah, yeah. So, so you say there's no dimension could it be between because they're between galaxies i mean it, it could be it's more it's more just the pergil i think kind of look half-assed more or less do you guys know i don't know if this has been changed in the new in the disney canon but in the old explanation of what hyperspace was it's not faster than light travel it's actually slipping into a parallel dimension have you guys read this before I I think I've heard of this. If you've read the essential chronology of the Star Wars universe from like, I don't know, 1998 or something like that, it talks about... Who hasn't a classic? I mean, I referenced it in a research paper in 10th grade. That's not important. Um, They had the discovery of hyperspace was trans-dimensional transportation. It's not actually faster than light travel, which I thought was a little disappointing, but that's just me. Yeah. So it would make sense that it looks weird as they travel from galaxy to galaxy. I yeah, that makes point. sense. But then you you get us to that galaxy, and it's the same thing. So it's almost it like... It looks shockingly familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just... I, I I didn't really love that. But but other than that like aspect of it, like I liked what they did in the episode. I love the... Uh, it's not exactly a monologue, but the monologue with Balin where we finally get some more about what he actually wants. Like... Yep. That was pretty cool. That was one of the questions that we had been asking is like, what is he actually going after? And I mean, it's still a little ambiguous exactly what he envisions this end of the cycle that he talks about as, but I like that a lot. So yeah, he says there's a power here 
that will allow him to break the cycle. And I'm like, mm, here we go again about weird things that they're never going to talk about later. Yeah. I, as much as I love Balin, I hope that he dies at the end of this. Uh, ju- no, like, this is hard you to like say. like him so much, you want him to die. <laughs> well, with the loss of, of Ray Stevenson, like, I don't think somebody else could pick up this character and would feel the same. He's put so much into this. Yeah. That I don't want any strings, you know, left or any avenues left open that were like, oh, we were going to get future stories. But since we lost Ray, like I, I would I'm, I'm hopeful that we somehow both get the answers of what exactly he was going after. And there is a clear end to the character. Um, maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be death. Dave finds ways around having characters die all the time. It's kind of his, <laughs> his MO. Um, but mm-hmm. I definitely want to see a conclusion there. But do you guys think, Devor, I'll, I'll, I'll toss it to you. Do you think Shin is, is kind of losing any faith in Balin here? Because she kind of questions him more in this episode than we've seen before, like asking him if he misses the Jedi and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think... Shin is not not unlike a kind of stand-in for the audience here in trying to figure out what exactly her master is doing. <laughs> She's kind of there mm-hmm. like, can you give me a straight answer? And he's like, no, I will only <laughs> speak in riddles. Um, so, yeah, it, it does seem like there's a little bit of fraying potentially between them. And I mean, there's definitely one thing that you see is there's definitely starting to be a fraying in the like, you know, Shin Balin, Thrawn, Morgan of it all. Because like you have the little hints there where like, um, like in the, like at the conclusion of the Shin Balin scene, when those mercenaries show up and Balin has the line about like the enemy of our enemies, our friend for now. And then you have a little bit, earlier where or i think a little bit like later on where thrawn starts to insinuate they're like well you know balin used to be a jedi so like can we really trust his loyalties so there's a little bit where like everybody is kind of like you know kind of questioning each other and you can start like you can really start seeing that this is a marriage of convenience which you could always assume because like they're mercenaries so of course like it is a marriage of convenience but like now you're starting to see the bonds fray a little bit yeah, I can't believe they're going to be shocked that the bad guys turned out to be bad guys. What? I know. Yeah. Spoiler like alert. as soon like like you like you see it in that scene as soon as it is revealed that Balin is ex Jedi, both Thrawn and the Night Sisters have a visible reaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they're both like, like "Why are you here?" I do like that interplay of like, "Well, wait a minute." Now I, it's not like I trusted you to before, but now I actively distrust you. I kind of like that little change in there their interactions. I thought that was neat. Oh, and I, I like what we got with the, you know, we didn't get a ton, but with the night sisters and Thrawn and that dynamic there, because I, I think one, like in rebels, a lot of what we get with Thrawn is him not re- like he, he understands that this mystical power is out there, but he doesn't really comprehend its impact. You know, that's kind of why the rebels crew is always able to beat him is they're able to, you know, find that way through the force. He doesn't really believe in the Bendu uh, being a threat or the Pergil, you know, or any of these things that have these supernatural powers. But now he's trusting these Night Sisters um, to, like, I guess, enact his grand plan. 
kind of thing. I mm-hmm. I like that aspect of it because it shows character evolution for Thrawn uh, and kind of shoring yeah. up one of his bigger weaknesses there. Um, so I, th- I think that works really well. Are we expecting the... There's the line where they start talking about emptying the catacombs and they're yes. bringing things on board of the ship. Do we Are we all interpreting that to mean that they're bringing dead individuals onto the Star Destroyer to bring back with him to quote our galaxy in order for the Night Sisters to resurrect them there or something? Possibly. Yeah. Okay. It seemed odd to say the least, but I mean, if he's been trapped there, he's probably been convinced of their power over the past 10, 15 years. So I don't know what's going on, but yeah, because because Morgan explicitly refers to catacombs, right? Like she says, the catacombs are deep, and only a so few things hang out in catacombs. Exactly. It's usually like dead bodies and Indiana Jones so and rats, yeah, and rats, snakes. Always snakes. Why has it always got to be snakes? <laughs> um, yeah, and there's a cargo that they are taking off of the Eye of Scion into the Star Destroyer. So I'm interested by that too, like. Oh wait! No, the, the, the ship. Take it off the what? The ship. No, I think the no, I think the cargo is from the Night Sister catacombs because he talks about because mm-hmm. Thrawn's like per my agreement with the Knights, like the Great Mothers, like I am transporting this stuff off. There's clearly an establishing shot where the shuttle that they took from the what is the the hyperdrive ring? What is it called? The Eye of Scion. Golly. Okay. <laughs> Devor knows why that bothers me. Um, they make a, a purposeful shot to show that the shuttle returned up that way without anybody who was originally on it. So it was kind of like, what are they doing? Like, what is the plan? And then they start unloading, like we were talking about, they start moving their their, their boxes out like they're in college again. <laughs> they go to <laughs> summer break. Well, you know, last time they just left so quickly, they didn't really have a chance to take anything with them. This time they (laughs) want to make sure they can take stuff with them. (laughs) That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. He's got to make sure he gets what? I don't know, the broken glass from the Star Destroyer bay windows, perhaps? Well, let's actually, I want to talk about the Star Destroyer because... Oh, it's beautiful. It's it's fantastic. But I also think... Uh, it is a a reference to. Are you guys familiar with the the Japanese uh, kintsugi? I think is how it's pronounced. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for those of you who are listening who don't know, it, it basically means golden repair, golden joinery, and it's it's this Japanese art of repairing pottery by mending it with with different metals, like and gold being one of them, and kind of the philosophy behind it is repairing the object honors its history and allows it to to become something um, new and different that takes on that history into the future and it allows it to continue its service and uh mm-hmm. i mean See, if that's Kyler not a one-to-one i don't know all i when i looked out at that vast bay of stormtroopers and armor and, and various sorts of disrepair it all it said to me and I know this is very like mercenary of me but it's like black series stormtrooper variants one through seven coming to a GameStop. <laughs> that yeah. is all i could think when i saw those guys i was like oh no it's just more toys even even the captain with the golden face i was like oh no what are we doing see i actually Another like it weird looking storm i do too captain. 
I mean, it's okay, but it's just kind of like the <sighs> Phasma had the chrome armor allegedly constructed out of Palpatine's Naboo space transport ship. Captain Cardinal has all red armor. The Sith troopers, like every stormtrooper captain's got a thing now. And this one's just another one. It's just kind of like, stop. (laughs) But I think where this one is different is they're not, they're not inventing a new stormtrooper. Like the Sith troopers were like a new kind of stormtroopers. This is a kind of a rebuilt stormtrooper. Like I yeah, I, like this I get. Like they're kind of that Imperial remnant ish, like uh, units from the very first season of Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Were kind of like they're all dusty and broken down, and you can tell everybody's depressed. Here they seem to be doing the best they can on a planet they clearly didn't intend to end up on. Although they did find the one dealer of red ribbon and bought every. <laughs> it seems like they're oh my gosh they're literally the red ribbon army. Oh my goodness, <laughs> look at that. What what are y'all's thoughts on on Enoch? You're never going to see him again. Really, you think so? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. File this under thing that looks really cool. You'll see him at the beginning of the next episode. He's probably going to be sent out to kill. Well, was he sent out already to kill everybody? Or are we just waiting for that to happen next episode? I think we're waiting for that to happen next episode. He's yeah. never going to be. It is a little troubling that his name is Enoch, though. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it seems like Dave Filoni took a, an Old Testament survey class again lately, but it's very troubling implications of what they think Thrawn is in that case. For those of you who are, who are not familiar with what Drew is referencing, at least the... Oh, the sorry. Two, no, no, no. <laughs> Because I, I was thinking about this, too. Was uh, There's a reference in Genesis of, of Enoch who walked with God, and he was no more, for God took him. So basically, like, he doesn't die, but he goes to heaven, kind of is the, the implication there. Um, and he, in Hebrews, it says that he uh, did not see death. And so... I don't know if you guys have seen going around uh, the internets is uh, the zombie troopers. Uh, the, the fact that these are are resurrected, uh, you know, corporeals that are, are are brought back to life by the Night Sisters. The Night Sisters, yeah. Where do you guys come down on this? Like, do you have, do you have feelings either way? Or are you just is this another one you're going? I'm going to wait and see. Well, Enoch. Also, there. So, okay. Again, come back with me to obscure Sunday school lesson for just a moment. So, there are also three writings attributed to the name of Enoch, and may or may not be the same person in human history. That when he was taken up, taken by God after his three hundred sixty-five years on Earth, uh, he was placed in charge of the throne room of God. He was given authority to communicate the word of God to man, and he was assigned the role of the Metatron. For those of you who have read or have seen Kevin Smith's um, uh, Dogma, is an interesting idea. Um, but basically, he's in charge of the angels. So he's kind of God's right-hand man when dealing with the things, the affairs of humans, which again, makes Thrawn God. <laughs> Which I mean, I they're chanting gonna, his name at the beginning. It is really kind of weird. They do that too. Thrawn's, is, the, is Thrawn the kind of guy who would be like, "Yeah, when I when I start walking down the aisle, everyone start chanting my name." <laughs> I think it, he's Very the kind strange. of guy that would go. 
I'm not going to stop him. That's true. He wouldn't stop it. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) He'd be like, oh, this is their culture and their art. Yeah. (laughs) I learned so much about my troopers by how they chant my name. Yeah, I learned so much about myself from myself and the way I led my command. (laughs) Why not, right? At this point, it's just kind of... So so people are thinking they're, they're all zombies? I, or that there are at least zombies amongst them, I suppose? I think the, the running theory is that Merrick was reincarnated, <laughs> I guess, um, by Morgan Elsbeth. Uh, reanimated, I think, is, is the proper term. And that was kind of a foreshadowing of what we're getting here. So I think if in whatever the you know, subsequent story we get... Sabine or Ezra or Soka, you know, chopping down these these troopers. If we see Ugh. that dust come out of them, uh, like we did with Merrick, I think we'll have our answer there. Have either of you guys read the Red Harvest Star Wars book from years ago? Unfortunately. No. How about Death Troopers? You want anybody to read I did that? not read Death Troopers. Uh, Red Harvest made me thoroughly convinced to not read Death Troopers. <laughs> no, <laughs> I did not, not read that okay. either. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't don't you're not missing anything, but that's kind of the the inception of the uh, zombie stormtrooper motif, as it were. What's old is new again. Yeah, new zombies same as the old zombies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the episode title. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, far far away was a bad choice. Should have been should have been that. Let's let, let's talk about that for a moment. Just from yeah, I thought like, we were going to get away from that. Oh man, I, no, I had done such no. a good job avoiding it. Okay, you, go ahead. I know. And then just like on a silver platter, we we texted a little bit about this, but the Hu Yang's start off his 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 prologue, as you would, uh, for the story he tells Ahsoka begins with in a galaxy far, far away. Or no, he says a long time. He ago. He says a long time ago far, in a galaxy far, far away. Far, far away. And uh, what was you guys' initial reaction to that? Meh. I thought it was fine. <laughs> you thought it was fine? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nobody had any stronger reaction one way or the other than that? I was thinking about this today. I think I would have been upset if it was in a movie. Oh, interesting. But the fact that it's in a TV show, which I feel like you have... I feel like what they've established with the television shows is that they can be a little more referential than we can get in than we should get in the movies i should say the the movies do it sometimes to to their own detriment but because you have <laughs> looking at you rise of skywalker um, i was i was thinking uh, um, uh 3po breaking the fourth wall in the empire strikes back oh yeah that too um, That's a weird moment you with the the way that television allows you to have more time for storytelling there is less weight to every single line. Whereas in a movie, you have, you know, two to two and a half hours to tell this story. You have very limited space. So you have to, and we know that they're cutting a lot out of, of the movies. Like we've seen, you know, that there's four or five hours, 17 hour revenge of the Sith, however long it is. Like there's, there's a lot left <laughs> on the cutting room floor. And, with these, you have, I think, a little more room to play. Um, you're getting less of the casuals. You're getting more of the dedicated people who are watching these shows. I, I think there are definitely some casual Star Wars fans who are, are watching them. There are some who are very dedicated to the Mandoverse because Mandalorian got them into it and stuff. But 
you're not just having a, a family of five go like, hey, uh, let's let's just go to the movies. That new Star Wars is out. Let's go check it out. And they're going to, to see it and they're not going to get that reference and it's going to be confusing. Like the people who are watching this show are going to get these references. So I'm okay with it. I'm not in love with it. Uh, I don't think... I don't think it takes away from the episode, but I definitely don't think it adds to the episode. Okay, interesting. It kind of felt this with Shadow Warrior 2. It's like Dave Filoni's like one great trick being like, aha, look at this thing, you know, like from Star Wars as you know it. Like there's a little bit of, it has a little mm-hmm. bit of that quality. Uh, like, you know, with the Clone Wars flashbacks and all of that stuff. So yeah, but beyond that, I, I don't have really strong opinions either way. Interesting. Have you guys seen the uh, clip going around of Dave Filoni at Celebration in, I think, 2019, I think it was? Nope, no idea what you're talking about. No? Okay. I could be wrong on the year, but there, there is a, a ra- not a roundtable, uh, Celebration stage or whatever where they have the Star Wars show, and um, Dave is kind of joking that... Uh, you know, about where Ezra is. And he says, Ezra is far, far away. And people are like, he's been setting it up this whole time. (sighs) (laughs) That's exactly about the response I I expected. But it it does lead us to Ezra um, because we got Ezra Bridger back. And uh, it was honestly kind of anticlimactic. Really? Quite underwhelming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Guys, yeah. I'm surprised at the both of you. I was completely underwhelmed by it. No. I was okay. whelmed. I was whelmed by it. <laughs> You're exactly whelmed? Yes, exactly. I was not over. What, I was not under. What uh, What made it underwhelming, Devor? What, what, uh, you saw it coming a mile away? or I, uh, there, there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit in the camera that you're like, oh, it's going to pan and he's going to be standing there. So there's a little bit of that. Some of it, I think, is a little bit also, you know, not, not to knock him too much, a little bit is the performance of both of them. <gasps> oh, like they, no. like, like, like I, I, I would have expected more like kind of pathos to come out of that moment. Um, yeah, I was thinking that. And, and I mean, like, I, I, you know, I was thinking about that and it, it was seeing like quite a few people saying online about like having that same sort of sensation of like feeling a little underwhelmed by the reaction. I think it's in, in some ways it's like of, of a piece of like the larger way that the story and the show was being told. And we talked about this a little bit, I think either in the last episode or the episode before that of like, Ezra's return, like the search for Ezra, like Rebels ends with that being the great loose thread of like, we got to go find him. He's out there somewhere and it's time to bring him home. But in this show, it's really kind of the B plot. The show's really about the search for Thrawn. And so, you know, in this episode where we both see Thrawn and we see Ezra, like it's almost a microcosm of that where the Thrawn reveal feels like the bigger event. But I think it's supposed to like, because you say it's the, the big loose thread, but, but it is for Sabine. Like it's not, we get the implication that Hera has been looking for Ezra, but we don't have that at the end of rebels. We have Sabine and we are, 
transposing onto Ahsoka that she's going with him for that, like as we were watching it when Rebels was coming out, but now we, you know, have the context from her perspective. So I don't know if it's exactly fair to say that that was the the big thing. Like it was for the audience and it was for Sabine, but it wasn't necessarily for the rest of the characters. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I do think like, again, like, you know, where is Ezra has been the big thing for like five years yes. post Rebels ending. Yeah. And so like, I, I think, yeah, like in terms of the framing of the show, it's like the, you know, the return of Thrawn and like where he is like, that was clearly chosen as the frame because like it was for, you know, like it because, you know, they're setting up this kind of larger storytelling of which, you know, he is going to be one of these central figures, whereas the search for Ezra was, you know, that was the frame where you're going to get the pathos from. Like, that's where you're going to get mm. a kind of emotional payoff that you don't really get with sort of seeing Thrawn in quite the same way. So, yeah, I think it, it does kind of come down to like I, I think it is reflective of a larger set of choices that were made about this, the framing of the show, which you can be fine with or not, or however you feel on it is however you feel on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any particular problems with how they've done it. Like I, but again, like I, I'm not a huge Ezra fan. I don't dislike Ezra, but it's not like he tops, you know, cracks my top 10 or anything like that. Uh, I'm interested in him. I wanted to see him back, you know, see how that was going to go. But I wasn't putting a lot of uh, weight on that return. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, it, it, it is what it is kind of thing. Thrawn, I feel like I needed a big entrance. I needed to feel like he had actually done something other than sit around and twiddle his thumbs for 15 years. Because... If, especially if you've listened to, to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, our book podcast, not a huge Thrawn guy. Like, never have been. There <laughs> are... Uh, I, I like the original uh, Thrawn book in the new canon, just entitled Thrawn, and he is perfectly serviceable in Rebels, but beyond that, I haven't liked anything they've put out with him. So you needed to win me over with this episode in how you brought Thrawn back, and I think that they did that. And I think that speaks to the larger thing that they were trying to accomplish that you, you referenced Devor of like, they had to choose one direction that they were going to go. And they chose, you know, making a bigger threat than bringing Ezra back as the focus. But my question is like, just not necessarily about how, what they chose to do was paid off, but just by what they chose to do. Like it just felt like, okay, he's kind of here now. Like, you accidentally meet these these rock turtles, and Ezra's been doing <laughs> arts and crafts or something, making these rebel logo necklaces for all of them. I don't know how that comes into play, but uh, it, it just... It just kind of happened. There wasn't any grandeur yeah. to it, and, and maybe that's an expectation thing, but I... I, I and maybe it's intentional of like, okay, Thrawn gets the grandeur and, you know, Ezra has learned his humility and stuff. But uh, just, I mean, the, the actor, I have to say, is great. Um, I like the actor they chose. I'm not sure of his name. Um, but he fits Ezra. Like, I had zero problem with the transfer of that character from animation over. Like, it felt one-to-one -one for me. Drew, as somebody who is not as into Rebels as, as Devor and I are, and, and you've, 
I mean, you've watched it through once. I don't know if you've gone back and revisited the episodes regularly. Um, but how did you feel about Ezra's return? Uh, his particular once he showed up on screen, it was fine. I was a little concerned with the whole uh, with Sabine's journey that I was kind of confused as to what to kind of expect out of that. Because I, now I feel like we're splitting what was interesting about the story into another fork in the road. And I was, didn't have a ton of confidence that it was going to be a fun journey to go on because she f- encounters a band of mysterious bandits like we've seen. I really thought one of them would rip off the helmet and, and it was going to be him. Like he would, they'd be fighting and like he, she pulls the lightsaber out and he, and you see one of them like kind of tilt their head to the side, like quizzically. And then he rips the helmet off and, and that would be him. I was not expecting him to be involved in like the little Ninja Turtles uh, group. And I kind of with you, Brandon on the, I'm not really under, sure I understand what's been going on and, why he's not dressed like any of them if he's been living among them for so long. I was I was very kind of confused about that. But again, it doesn't really matter because we knew he was, she was going to find him eventually. I feel like Thrawn's warning that he could be dead was an interesting choice. Like, it was both, on one hand, it was kind of him potentially being comforting. He'd be like, hey, look, just real world talk. It's not a fun place out there and he may not have survived. Or he could be like sowing that seed of doubt in her mind and be like, yeah, your friend, this person you've been struggling to find for 15 years. Yeah, we killed him 20 years ago. Like, <laughs> good luck finding the body. So it was an interesting way of like playing mind games with her, but evidently that wasn't a big deal. She just found him later that afternoon. Well, I think they're they're setting up Ezra's death. I think Ezra is going to die in the next two episodes you just got it out for people this week don't you you want him to die you want Balin's skull to die you you want ahsoka to die at the end of the show that's a really strong position to take listen but, sir uh, don't you put words you in my it. mouth two out of three okay uh so you're okay with Balin's skull living got it got it got it <laughs> no so there's a line that just keeps standing out to me and they've repeated it you know, in his message to Sabine, and then here where he says, I can't wait to go home. That was kind of cool. I liked that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, BT dubs, we're stuck here again. <laughs> it does kind of make you wonder, like, what was Sabine's, like, th- plan all the way to, like, her plan got all the way up to finding him, and then what? Yeah, I don't think she had a plan after that. I don't think so either. You, you kind of, but that kind of goes to, like, what, what, Devor, what you were saying is, like, their their big moment was just like the collective deep breath went, oh, okay, you're all right, good. I feel better now. And they kind of stare yeah. at each other, and it's like, okay, now what? It's just like, okay, where's our ship? Let's go. I'm ready to go home. It's like, you don't look like you're ready to go home, nor am I prepared to get you home. Yeah. Yeah. They're in trouble. What if he like turns on her? It's like, you came all this way. You didn't have a way to get us out of here. What are you talking about? You're useless to me. <laughs> you don't even have a shell. Then then he rips out a stormtrooper helmet and puts it on, and it's like yeah, the reverse of what you were talking about, Drew. He's Captain Enoch. He puts his gold <laughs> face on. He's like, ah, I found you. Ah, and then Thrawn, he just starts chanting, Thrawn, 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 Thrawn. 
Yes. <laughs> All the so turtle true. people searching. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So sorry, Tim guys. Had Spoiler alert for her. Right around back on this show. I'd be like, this is the best piece of material I've ever seen. The oh, West man. Wing, what? <laughs> I think Ezra's going to meet his, his end here because. Aww. Well, it, it's just. I'm thinking about how they go forward and how do you go forward into the movie um, that Filoni is eventually going to do, which I feel like this is going to set up the, the major threat and everything that we're sure. getting going in there. How do you do that and have Ezra around at the same time that Luke, but they're not working together, but then also you have Ray later and he's, is he going to exist then and also not help train Ray? Like that kind of makes him look like there's just... There's way too many bad ways that it can go where I feel like if you have him, you know, I don't know if he gives his life or how it works out. But if you have him become more of a martyr, uh, it's easier to tell that story to audiences that are just going in to, to see this movie um, and then ne- mm. haven't necessarily watched the shows. I'm making, obviously, a lot of guesses about what the movie is going to be about and what it's going to try to accomplish, but you bring Ezra back and then you don't have him train Jason and you don't have him help Luke start the temple and you, it just, there's, there's not a lot of lights where Ezra looks like the good guy in that situation and there's a very, I don't even want to say easy light, but a very sure light where you can make him a martyr and use that as a rallying cry for the people and, you know, both collectively and just our individual characters that we're focusing on. Uh, I think it puts Sabine in a very interesting position where she feels like she needs to carry on the legacy of the Jedi uh, in terms of like the rebels crew, you know, Kanan to Ezra to Sabine kind of thing uh, in the same way that Ahsoka carries on the Obi-Wan to Anakin, you know, all the way from Qui-Gon and Dooku and Yoda and, and all of them. So you also have that reference of the Boken Jedi of these Jedi trained outside of the temple um, that there, there's what a this weird diff- choice to use, by the way, it, it was very interesting. Yeah. But, like, like that's that's a very particular term that refers to a a wooden practice katana. Yeah, there very was very interesting. There was an interesting story I found in looking into it of a uh, a person who was I think he was escaping prison and he was a a samurai and he basically crafted a boken as he was walking and defeated two others uh, with the the wooden sword that had full-on swords um, by basically beating them over the head with it, essentially. Um, That's not the the greatest explanation of the story, but it was just interesting of, like, this thing that seems docile and seems like it's just for practice can become quite potent and dangerous. I think that might be the reference there. But, yeah, it it was kind of like Filoni just, like, flipped through a... a, uh, samurai terms dictionary and like pointed at one you know uh, it was an interesting one. there is a lot of like i've just finished watching every akira kurosawa film ever and i'm going to use every element i can possibly think of into this show yeah yeah even yeah. down to like ahsoka's footwear is tr- is traditional japanese samurai garb as well yeah there's a term for the what her foot, i can't remember what it's called now so that brings us to our our re-ratings uh and 
Devor, I'm going to let you start off and, and tell us whether you've changed your scores at all. I think for the third episode in a row, I'm going to stay right where I am. Will I change in the fourth episode? One way oh, to find out. time will tell. Oh, man. That's a lot of pressure. We've got work to do. All right, Drew. <laughs> um, I'm going to drop far, far and away from two and a half down to two. Because <laughs> you guys are right. That whole Ezra reveal was landed like a thud. So that, that that I hadn't even considered that I had forgotten that was in this episode. But so now that you have reminded me of it, um, I'm gonna do that. I still I, the issues I have with Shadow Warrior, like front half of the episode aside, the second half of the episode feels very long and drawn out too. We didn't even really talk about how how much time it takes for them to get to the point of like, here's the plan. The plan is we're gonna summon a Purgle. I'm going to talk to it. We're going to pop in its mouth and we're going to jump across the galaxy. Like I get it. It's weird. And the characters need time to digest that, but it felt like a very long amount of screen time to actually get through all these things. Like a lot of establishing shots of like, here's the purgle out in the atmosphere. Here's the purgle in the space. Here's the space fleet in front of them. Here's the purgle going past the space fleet. Here's the people reacting to that. It's like, just kind of like, all right, did you guys have just like 45 seconds extra you had to fill in order to meet a quota or something like that? So I felt like the, the back half of it dragged quite a bit. Um, but if I move it down from three out of five, I feel like Brandon's going to defriend me on Facebook. <laughs> I don't want to run that risk. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it alone for now, but I reserve the right to change it once this episode drops. How about that? That's fair. You just can't say it to anybody else. I'll post it in the in, as a comment in the note oh, God. on the Facebook page. I'll be uh, like, BT dubs, it went from this to that, and you can find out why. <laughs> uh, well, I'm definitely what keeping Shadow you? Warrior the same. Um, there wasn't going to be much. You're still going to leave that out of five? Yeah. Yeah. Still leaving that out of five. I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing a very good job. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm doing the wrong job because you lowered far, far away. Um See, I've been, I've been so in between all day trying to figure out whether I want to go three or four with uh, Far, Far Away. I think I'm going to drop it to a 3.5 because, one, the Ezra thing, I, I think, really uh, is not, it, like you said, it just doesn't land uh, very well. And... A lot of the excitement that I have for the stuff that was presented with Thrawn needs to be paid off. So I want to lower the score temperamentally mm. to see if this stuff gets paid off. Is, uh, you know, are these references just references or are they leading to something? Um, I think if the things do pay off, if we do get these reincarnated troopers and that's done well if we do maybe get some more about the boken jedi um get more about the history of the night sisters like if we do get these things whether it's in this story or something later on i think i can go back to this episode and look at on it uh a little bit fonder which still seems kind of harsh like i don't dislike this episode i really enjoyed it um but it definitely is an exposition episode that we are setting up the last two. And so come back later for more, I guess, kind of our, 
that's a really good point. That's a really good point is to say like how exciting should it have been to know that Thrawn has returned? Like he's back in action, he's on screen and he's he's involved now like very personally in this in the events and actions to come. Like we know he's going to be playing a major role in things and I feel like it should be this moment of like of great excitement. Kind of like the way Ezra's return should have been at the same time. Now it's it was really great to see Thrawn as much as we did, but perhaps it suffered a little bit from being so much of the episode. Like he he's introduced like a twenty five percent of the way, th- well maybe closer to a third of the way through. You know this the Star Destroyer pops up, and he he does this amazing strut out of the docking bay, which I absolutely loved. Uh, setting aside the fact that it fits perfectly over top of the temple, we already talked about that separately. So yeah, I'm kind of with you, Brandon. Like it's of itself, the episode itself, maybe not super strong can lead us to great places. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas episode five, I think in your eyes can self-contained fantastic episode for Brandon can still lead us to fantastic places going forward. It has both of those elements. Um, again, in your book. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a good, Good summary of it. I think the one thing um, going forward is just like (sighs) Dave keeps a lot of stuff in his head and he wants us as the audiences to to fill in the blanks. He's not really interested in giving us all the answers. And so I know we're not going to get the answer to all these questions, but it's a is it left in that good ambiguity or bad ambiguity space? So we'll have to to watch and, and find out. And you guys will have to come back for, for our next episode where we talk about the, the penultimate and the finale episodes of Ahsoka, the season series. It's still kind of unsure. It's kind of like a book of Boba Fett thing where they've kind of talked about it as a limited series. And then they just started calling it series. And so <laughs> what's going on here? So, We'll have to see there, but either way, we will be here to talk about it, and you'll be able to follow us on all our socials uh, and, and hear our opinions. As you can tell through this episode, we are not quiet about them. We we share them over in our Facebook group. We share them online. We share them on here, and we love that you guys are a part of it. So thank you for that. Uh, make sure you are also over on our Patreon so that you can help us send books to uh, classrooms across the country, Star Wars books. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't pay for myself to go to celebration with those funds. 100% of those funds go purely <laughs> to uh, buying and shipping books uh, to to kids. So if you know a teacher or if you are a teacher or uh, if you have a student who has a teacher, it doesn't matter. Uh, help us help put the... Let me try that again. Help us put <laughs> books into their classrooms. Uh, that was easy for me to say. And you did a great uh, job. I'm an educator, guys. I'm good at this. You uh, hold the future of children in your hands, just so we're clear. I'm creating my own little rebel army, trust me. Um, they're out here trying to ban <laughs> books, and I'm, I'm fighting it. We're fighting the book bans, guys. We are fighting the book oh. bans by getting Star Wars books in the classroom. So help us do that. And uh, and like I said, guys, just be subscribed and be following us uh, on all of the socials. So, Drew, if they want to follow you particularly, where can they do that? Best place to do that is going to be on the Facebook page for the group. Um, you can find us over at Star Wars Clashing Sabers, is I think the name of the page, right? Yes. Did I get that right this time? Yes, you did. Ah, I'm so proud of me. Well, one um, in a I row. S- I still have my... I did, here's what I decided to do with the, tw- uh, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, unless you actually go to the website, twitter.com, which is still the real website name. Um, I'll have my real account up there because I've 
in order to use like DM capabilities for people who don't have my connection otherwise, but I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm good. You wouldn't believe how much more reading of actual books I've been able to get done the past couple of weeks since having sworn off the, that particular feed. I recommend it. Turns out. So you're saying you X'd off of X? Is, is <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that not, was that not? Oh, I gotta go to the doctor now. That hurts so bad. <laughs> All right, Devor, uh, tell them where they can find you and and see everything you're doing. All right, you can follow me on X at a larger view pod. Uh, you can also listen to me over on Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I host with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. And uh, guys. I think the one big payoff we all need is is not zombie troopers. What we need in the next episode this is this is good. Okay, I've got it figured out. We need Thrawn in an elevator with these uh these night troopers as they're called per the subtitles and he just one of them just pops him on the button and goes batch 8. Hi ho. <laughs> Could, you can't, can't you see Thrawn just kind of jumping oh, over that? You got me good. You got me good. You made it up for the uh, the bad pun earlier. You know, balance in good. all things. In all Bal- things. Well done, young man. A blessing on your house. Mazel tov. <laughs> Mazel tov. Oh, my oh. gosh. Are they really called night troopers? Yeah, that's what the subtitles call yeah. them. Oh, I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's going down in rating. Look at that. It's one and a half out of five. Oh, no. <laughs> All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?